0: it's time to build your momentum to start off your new year right with our evidence-based psychology and yoga podcast delivered directly to your earbuds five days a week that's right we are going to be replaying 60 of our top episodes five days a week so we're going to be featuring expert insights practical tips that will help you achieve your mental and physical wellness goals From reducing anxiety and stress to improving your focus and concentration, the Wisdom for Wellbeing Momentum Season is the perfect companion for your yoga, mindfulness practices, and life. So tune in during your commute, while you're walking your dog, or while you're cleaning your kitchen to dive into the latest research and explore the powerful connection between your brain, body, and your best life. I'm looking forward to being in your earbuds pretty much daily as we kickstart your 2023 journey towards a happier, healthier, and more balanced you.
1: As I say, you're, you're, you're most productive and you're most creative when you have the freedom to make a mess. But when you're in a mess, you can't make one. So, you know, that's the, the whole idea is clean up so that you can make the next mess you want to make which is really the the fun, creative part.
0: You're listening to the Wisdom for Wellbeing podcast, the show that blends science and heart to bring you evidence-based tips and tricks for cultivating a healthy, wealthy, and meaningful life. Now, here's your host, therapist, yogi, and fellow full-life balancer, Dr. Caitlin Harkis. Today on the Wisdom for Wellbeing podcast, I am joined by David Allen, one of the world's most influential thinkers on productivity. David's 35 years experience as a management consultant and executive coach have earned him the titles of personal productivity guru by Fast Company Magazine and one of America's top five executive coaches by Forbes Magazine. The American Management Association has ranked him in the top 10 business leaders His best-selling book, The Groundbreaking Getting Things Done, The Art of Stress-Free Productivity, has been published in 30 languages, and the GTD, for a shorthand, methodology it describes, has become a global phenomenon, being taught by training companies in 60 countries. David, his company, and his partners are dedicated to teaching people how to stay relaxed and productive in our fast-paced world. In today's episode, David introduces you to the four basic tenets of the GTD system and explains how ultimately even the small stuff like getting cat food is meaningful, important, and needs to be captured in a way where you don't have to be constantly holding reminders in your mind. In fact, modern science has now demonstrated that your mind can only hold four things in your memory at once, so if you don't have a task management system in place, you're probably losing a lot of cognitive energy rehearsing the things that you need to get done. How amazing would it feel to be able to actually focus your mental energy on the moments of your life and the things that matter to you? I think that you'll find this interview is practical, actionable, and that it will inspire you to cultivate some new systems for this new decade. I just wanted to give you a quick reminder that the Wisdom for Wellbeing launch party is continuing on social media, and you can head on over to drcaitlin.com to find more information as well as details about how you can join in, perhaps going in the running to win a prize related to supporting your body, mind, or soul. So a very special thanks to our lovely partners that are bringing you this launch party, and you'll hear a bit more about some of them later in the episode. All right, without further ado, here's David Allen. So first off, I just wanted to say a big thank you, David, for joining me here today on the Wisdom for Wellbeing podcast. It's a real honor to be able to speak with you and to listen you know, to your words of wisdom, having read your book a number of years ago, it's one of the few books that I managed to read through an entire overseas flight rather than being distracted by, you know, the many movie options. And <laughs> interestingly enough, it was a book that that offered me a new vantage point for how I might be able to organize and live my life. So I wanted to say thank you. And
1: okay. yeah. you're welcome. And thanks for the invitation. Delighted to chat with you.
0: Well, I'm very excited, and would it be okay if I started with a quote from, um, from your book, actually?
1: Go right ahead. Yeah. Beautiful.
0: So I think this quote really captures what has really drawn me in. So it starts like this. What if you had a completely clear mental space, with nothing pulling or pushing on you unproductively? What if you could dedicate fully 100% of your attention to whatever was at hand, at your own choosing, with no distraction? It is possible. There is a way to get a grip on it all, stay relaxed, and get meaningful things done with minimal effort across the whole spectrum of your life and work. You can experience what the mental artists call a mind like water, and what top athletes refer to as the zone. Within the complex world in which you are engaged, in fact, you have probably already been in this state from time to time. I think that really captures what the getting things done or as you've um, called the GTD system offers to an individual. Would you mind just sharing a little bit about this system and how you came to develop this really amazing stress-free productivity system for those of us in busy lives?
1: Well, I first of all have to uh, admit, acknowledge that I have never had any traditional formal education in psychology, business, or time management.
0: (laughs) Intuitive, perhaps.
1: (laughs) Everything I came up with was purely experiential out of my own um, experiences, my own uh, interests, uh, my own exploration, my own development with this stuff. Uh, I guess I came to it, one of the reasons I got attracted to this kind of work are this um, methodology or the, the practices that I talk about in the book is I came from a place where I had experienced what I, I, what I now call the strategic value of clear space. I mean, clear space is a nice place to be, to be present. You'll get more blood to the brain, you'll have better thoughts, you'll, you'll, it'll be easier to deal with, <laughs> you'll deal with life a lot easier. So it's a nice end state to get to, but it's also quite practical. Um, <clears throat> if, you're, if you're surprised by anything, Uh, you will tend to over or underreact if you're not present. And so I learned, certainly in the martial arts, if four people attack you in a dark alley, you do not want 2,000 unprocessed emails hanging in your psyche. You you, you need to be clear. Well, there's, you know, in the high levels of training in the martial arts, and I I did get a black belt in karate in my 20s, there's a number of meditative kind of practices. And there may be a spiritual component to it, but there's at least a very practical component to it which is the ability to stay present, allows you to not overreact, not underreact, which is the optimal state. It's the optimal state to cook spaghetti from or hit a golf ball from or have a difficult conversation from. You know, so, that, I, so I, I, I sort of love that place. I'm also a freedom guy. I don't like to be distracted by stuff or be hung up about things you can't do anything about. And I like that sense of the freedom of clear space. I'm not a naturally organized guy. You can ask my wife about that. I'm, I happen to like to be spontaneous and, and free and follow my you know, intuitive hunches about what to do. I just discovered that without appropriate practices, it's hard to maintain that state.
0: That's really interesting a, that um, from you know a really clear system in place, you have the opportunity for spontaneity and ease.
1: Sure. Ask any good artist. Ask any chef. Ask anybody is really good at what they do with any kind of an art and craft and they'll probably admit and probably demonstrate that before they do what they do they need to get their the stuff in order the french chefs call it mise en place everything in its place as i say you're 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 most productive and you're most creative when you have the freedom to make a mess but when you're in a mess you can't make one so, you know, that's the, the whole idea is clean up so that you can make the next mess you want to make, which is really the, the fun creative part, you know, of, of all of that. So, you know, I kind of learned that early on. So I'm not a naturally organized guy. I'm a naturally lazy guy. I hate having to rethink something. I hate having to rethink what something means. I hate having to have something out of place when I'm trying to do something that I need things in place in, in order to be able to do it. So... You know, it's funny, you see, you, know, you talk to an artist that says, oh, I don't want to be too structured. I like to be free and spontaneous. I say, what kind of paint do you do? I say, well, oil paints. Let me see your brushes. Neat as a pin.
0: Interesting. Neat as
1: a pin. So, so you actually don't think about having to get organized about stuff you really love to do.
0: That's a very interesting point. So in the stuff we love to do, we don't have to think about getting organized. There's a degree of motivation, perhaps, that we... Sure. Utilize to find this structure in those situations, and and yet in in life generally, something that you know we all would aspire to love our lives. Individuals do have this experience of chaos or disorganization or a sense of overwhelm. Mm-hmm. And you're saying that you came from this place of perhaps not being a naturally organized person but that you found these systems to be beneficial to help you enter that state that you had accessed in martial arts, this clarity in your mind, this ability to find an easefulness. And you mentioned that you were quite lazy and these systems were perhaps helpful in, in yeah. managing that. I'm, I'm interested because it seems a little bit paradoxical.
1: Well, anybody listening or watching this who maintains a calendar is already saying that your head can't do it. And why do you maintain a calendar? Well, I need some sort of a system to let me know where I am in space and time and where I need to be. And so for the reason people maintain a calendar is because the downside of screwing up is really painful. You miss a key appointment. You know, you know, that that doesn't feel very good, you know. And there's a there's a the 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 downside of of not being organized in that way has people motivated to sort of maintain at least that part of their life, you know, in some sort of a structure. So, if you don't like structure, give up your calendar. You know, and, it and people are a little gonna, bit chaotic. People, yeah, that people aren't going to do that very probably. And I say, well, you know, why keep, if you're keeping that out of your head and keeping an external system that makes you feel freer and better in space and time, why not do that about your whole life? Yeah. See, the funny thing, you know, what I did was, and, and again, Caitlin, I mean, part of the impetus and motivation for me to do this was not only for myself as my life got more complex. You know, to be able to stay in the clear space, but also because I'd started my own consulting practice and I was dealing with a lot of, uh, you know, consulting and business clients that seemed to be out of control and unfocused or who could at least take advantage of what I was learning for myself about how to stay clear. So that was a, you know, I had a business and professional motivation to also find out what these techniques were, and as they worked for me, I turned around and used them with my clients, and it turned out to produce exactly the same results for them as it did for me: more balance, more control, more focus, more meaningful space to focus on meaningful stuff. And so that became essentially the essence of my of my consulting practice. Because I also was hungry for a model, for models to use. That if it if I wasn't clear what to what to do, I, I'm sure you, as a practicing psychologist, have your own models. That if it's not clear, you know what the presenting issue is or how to address it, you can pull out, pull out a model and start to work with it, and it'll help uncover what you need to do and and keep you focused appropriately. So, you know, sure. I got hungry for models like that. And as I began to find those things and start to build this, some senior person in the corporate training world saw what I was doing and said, wow, we need that in our whole whole culture. So can you design a training around this or a seminar approach or a workshop approach so we can reach a lot of people instead of just one, one at a time with what you're doing? So I did, and it turned out to be quite successful. So I found myself thrust into the corporate training world, but that also helped me refine you know, a, a more defined version of what this methodology was. And then it took me 25 years to figure out what I'd figured out, and that nobody else had done it, and that it was unique, and that it was bulletproof, and that's what I wrote the book, Getting Things Done.
0: And, and in fact, the system that you've designed now, you know, psychological research science is actually catching up with it which is really interesting to hear the different ways that modern research is validating something that you designed a number of years ago and we're kind of going with your experience, your, I guess, lived lived experience and the situation in such that you were coming to cultivate a framework because you were working in an environment where that was really warranted and necessary.
1: Yeah, indeed. Well said. So that's what happened.
0: So with, with regards to the Getting Things Done system, the GTD system, would you mind sharing a little bit about how this fits in our modern understanding of, you know, for instance, how many things we can actually be holding in our mind and these to-do lists that we might be trying to keep an eye on or a mind on that get infinitely long?
1: Yeah. Well, as you, I'm sure, know, and... and uh, recall from the book, that a whole lot of what this is about, at least as a foundation, is to stop using your head as your office. It's a crappy office. Your head, your, your brain did not evolve to remember, remind, prioritize, or manage relationships between more than about four things now, which is the new cognitive science research has basically validated that. As soon as you have more than four things you're trying to keep track of and manage, and you're just doing that in your head, uh, you'll tend to be driven by latest and loudest instead of good strategic intuitive intelligence in terms of the choices that you make. And so uh, you know, a way to get clear space is to clear the space. <laughs> the space is basically your mental space. How do you clear that? Well, you start to get stuff out of your mind. And so externalizing your thinking, you know, is, is extremely powerful. And I'm sure in your research, you probably run across many different versions of the fact that if people start to externalize, whether it's a kid drawing their anger on it, you know, in cartoons or whatever, as soon as you start to externalize that, it allows you to sort of operate from in, in a different zone about it. It allows you to somewhat step out of what that spin is. If you're keeping stuff inside your head, you know, uh the, the, the commitment that you need cat food will take up as much room as the commitment to rewrite your business plan. And either one will wake you up at three o'clock in the morning when you can't do anything about it. So, you know, again, it's very hard to, to notice the relationship, especially with the complex lives that we're all living these days. Most people have many more commitments at many more different levels than they're consciously aware of. And that's a lot of what this methodology was, was beginning to discover and give people an algorithm or a formula about how to address all the complexities of their commitments at the multiple levels we have them, and then be able to externalize that. So you have essentially an external brain that's giving you orientation maps when I go out for errands, I want to see a list of the six errands that I have already decided I need to run, not to try to remember what they are. The next time I you know, talk to my wife about our, you know, our, our lifestyle, future, and vision of where we want to be a year from now and things we want to accomplish, I don't want to just have that in my head. I want to be able to take a look at what are some of those things we've thought of, what are some of the things we've finished, what are some of the things we want and just externalize all that. So that's a lot of what this is about. And, you know, as you know, there's a fairly simple model that I recognized. I didn't make it up. I just recognize what you do when you get your kitchen into order. You capture stuff, You that is, you notice stuff that's off, you decide what those things are, you then organize based upon what they are, where they need to go, and then you step back and look at the whole scene, and then Decide to pull butter out and melt it. So essentially, the way you get any situation under control is the five steps of capture, clarify, organize, reflect, and engage. That's how you get a meeting under control. It's how you get your kitchen under control. It's also how you get your consciousness under control. But most people don't realize there is an in control of your consciousness you can get to, and you don't have to be sick or out of control to you know too too much to actually get huge value out of it. Because most people are living a lot more out of control than they actually realize. It's kind really? of like one of those things, you don't taste the, you don't It's like the last thing a fish notices is water. And one of the last things people notice or recognize is the ambient anxiety they're walking around in 24 seven, simply because they filed all that stuff in a place that's spinning.
0: And you're responsible for trying to keep all of those memories and those to-dos there. And, you know, it's interesting that you gave the analogy of, you know, errands or cat food and planning where you want your life to be with your wife. You know, that these two seemingly different tasks or memories or obligations, priorities are, are sitting there taking up the same amount of space and both would benefit from being entered into a system where your mind is not responsible for holding them. So sure. I'm, I'm interested in this because to me, you know, I'm sitting here going cat food and then where you want your life to go. Like these are, are so seemingly different activities. And one of them aligns with the concept of values, which is a very high level framework for how you're guiding and moving towards your life. And that requires a great degree of reflection and is something that comes up a lot in my work as a psychologist because we often utilize values to help an individual figure out what committed action they can do to live a life that is in alignment with their heart and, and their vision for their future. But it takes a lot and you highlight it takes a lot to get there. And if you don't have systems in place for managing the day-to-day details like cat food, it's going to be pretty overwhelming thinking what you want your life to look like.
1: Well, I'm going to push back a little bit. Mm. Why would you have a cat?
0: Well, this isn't
1: it. I find out yeah. that the cat and having a cat and feeding it is actually very much in alignment with the highest and most subtle values that you probably hold. Oh, why do you beautiful. have a cat? I love cats. Why do you love cats? God, they kind of open my heart when I'm home. Oh, you like an open heart, huh? Yeah. Why do, why do you like an open heart? I'm easier to deal with. I'm easier to deal with myself when that's true. Mm. Great. Why that? well, that just makes me feel more like who I really am and why I'm on the planet. Now you got it. So cat food translates very quickly into your life purpose or your core values, if you really think about it. And mm-hmm. it is kind of kind of a counterintuitive, I guess, in terms of the methodology I came up with that, that if you don't pay appropriate attention to what has your attention, it'll take more of your attention than it deserves. If you don't deal with cat food, and that doesn't mean you have to go buy it right now. It just means at least write cat food on a post-it on the fridge so that whoever's going to the store next will get it. You know, that'll get it off your mind. But if you and your life partner are sitting there trying to think about your life purpose or where you want to be and the cat jumps in your face because they're starved, you know, that, <laughs> You, need, you know, to, to your point, you know, you need to manage that stuff. And so in a way, you need to give as much Uh, rigor and integrity to your thinking and decision-making about the small stuff. It's all small stuff, anyway.
0: It's a really beautiful way of putting it, that these small things are actually part of, you know, a bigger picture in our life when we sit down and do the whys, when we go through the levels, that perhaps while there's small stuff, there's no such thing as small stuff, another paradox.
1: (laughs) Yeah, indeed.
0: So, You talked about how we bring our office out of our mind because our mind is not a great place to be holding all of this information. And this really resonates with work that I would do around with someone who might be experiencing, you know, an anxiety disorder and really struggling with managing the spinning thoughts. And you've mentioned that we don't necessarily have to be at the point where something is clinical to be able to benefit from this system that really a lot of us might not even recognize that we are feeling a little bit of out of control what would be some of the changes someone might notice by implementing the Getting Things Done system? What would be changes in routine or changes in emotional mental experience?
1: Well, I'll do the latter first. The emotional mental experience would be a lot more clarity Mm -hmm. about what your issue really is. A lot of people just feel like You know, if any one thing, and you can probably validate this from your experience as a professional, is any one thing out of place you're inappropriately engaged with, especially if it has real significance to you, will color your whole life. It'll make all your whole life feel anxious or gray. Whereas if you can identify that, the reason I I say this with some uh, experience is one of my master trainers uh, of the Getting Things Done methodology, the guy who has our license to deliver this training and coaching in South Africa and in Southern and Sub-Saharan Africa, uh, William Elliott is a clinical psychologist. So I asked him, I said, well, what's the difference between what people get from GTD or the getting things done methodology and the therapy you do? He says, well, you know the getting things done methodology won't necessarily solve the issue that someone has, but if someone implements Get GTD, it makes it much clearer what that issue is and a lot easier to deal with. So it's I think the clarity of the space because most people are are disturbed by a lot of stuff that they don't need to be disturbed by if they if they you know approach it with appropriate best practices and once they do that it doesn't mean it makes life easier it makes life clearer mm-hmm. right and so you don't actually have to like your life to get it off your mind. So I'm not a motivational speaker. I'm not a, you know, I'm not a happiness, you know, purveyor. I, you know, I don't really care in a way. I mean, I care, other I wouldn't, I wouldn't do this work because I know how life transforming this work can be for people. And, you know, and I love being able to provide that for those who are interested in it, but it's really, it, you know, I'm more of an educator uh, than, than a motivational speaker. I'm not even a very good trainer. I don't have the patience to sit and hang, hang with somebody for a long time. I just figured out what this algorithm is. You have to decide whether you want clear space or not. What you do with it will be up to you. Some people use it to be more creative. Some people use it to be more strategic. Some people use it to just be more loving and present, You know, and watch their kids play soccer without being on their iPhone.
0: that's a really interesting point as well that it might help you clarify what the actions are that you need to take or that you do not need to take but also then when you are present in an activity watching kids play soccer you don't have to be thinking about the cat food and the shopping list because you've got a system in place that's going to remind you at an appropriate time so you can truly be where you are in that instant
1: exactly well you know we've sort of you know sort of re-understood or sort of dug deeper about what the real purpose was, what drives us who do this work of getting things done, why I'm still doing it. You know, I'll be 74 in a couple of weeks and why I still, you know, the biggest miracle is how I still stay motivated to do this work, you know, after all these 35 years of being involved in this stuff because I can't help it because it is so powerful once people get this, if they're, if they're open to it and that, that, the ability to be able to be free inside of your head uh, gives you the opportunity to be able to recognize a whole lot of stuff. You wouldn't recognize otherwise. I mean, our main, our main real purpose is to create a world where there are no problems, only projects. So, you know, in your world, you know, that's pretty challenging to say, okay, but come on, all the new therapies instead of let's go back and figure out what your mom did to you when you were three years old, that might be interesting information. So do you understand what kind of patterns you may be running? But the main thing is, gee, what would you like to have true in your relationship with your, your spouse or wife partner? Well, great. What do you think you need to do to make that happen? So outcome and action become part of the new therapy models, at least as best I understand it, as much as it is that's the essence of productivity. What are we trying to produce with this meeting? What am I trying to produce? What kind of, How would I like to feel about clarity in my life? How would I, how would I like to be? An outcome can be your own internal experience as well as some physical material thing. That you produce.
0: And that's a really interesting point about the internal experience, because a lot of distress that we might experience in our life comes from the sense of being overwhelmed or out of control. So for whatever reason, life has happened, it's been stressful, challenging, and we've gone into a funk an area where we might not be keeping up with the tasks at hand, or they've just piled on at an increasing rate. And as we start to feel overwhelmed, then sometimes our you know, most intuitive or easiest way of managing that might be to avoid those tasks or to kind of hide our heads, or we're just kind of ruminating, thinking about them constantly, without necessarily having the foresight, the awareness of what would be the most effective step. So we sit around and we end up perhaps feeling more guilty, perhaps feeling like a failure, you know, these really difficult, challenging emotions, which of course, have us feeling worse for them and create that spiral once again, so we get really stuck. And what's amazing about the getting things done system is it shows us how to break the loop not just in having a system well it's part of the system is actually finding that first step that we can take when we have an action or something that's on our plate which is hugely empowering to know that we're taking action towards something that we need to accomplish you know that's positive feedback and creates a positive feedback loop by taking one which might seem tiny step one action
1: sure well Let's take something maybe from your world I'm sure you're familiar with. Someone has you know, significantly deep on their mind, should I get divorced or not? And so, well, great. Well, what's the desired outcome? <sighs> I want to be clear about you know, establishing an appropriate relationship with this other person. Great. What's your next action? What would you need to do to do that? So to your point, what that does is it puts people back in the driver's seat instead of in the victim complaining, worrying mode. So that's why, you know, creating a world where there are no problems, only projects is huge, you know, in terms of the change that that makes. I mean, you'd probably know from the, you know, the last, you know, I've been involved in, you know, the self-help personal growth movement, you know, intensely since, like 19, since the 1960s, right? So that's 50 plus years. And a whole lot of the essence of that is you are really in control of your life. You know, you, you, you create the, or allow whatever it is that you're experiencing and hopping back into the driver's seat is a huge essence of that. But I didn't want to have to confront people with that kind of hard, hard news about their life. All I do is just take a piece of paper they've let lie on their desk and go, why is that there? And what are you going to do with that? As opposed to that piece of paper or that document or that piece of mail or whatever, yelling at them or screaming at them or whispering at them that they tend to go numb to because they don't like that noise. Uh, they start to take control of it instead of it controlling them. Most people don't realize how all of those things they've allowed come into their ecosystem that they think is potentially meaningful, that they probably need to decide or think or do something about, and they haven't done that yet. They haven't walked through this GTD algorithm about how do I get that stuff off my mind and how do I determine what it is. They're victims. They're at effect of all this stuff coming at them whether that's the social medias and texts that are that they're getting or the email that's piling up while they're listening or watching to you and me. People often ask, what's new in the world? And I say there's nothing really new except how frequently it is. And so what technology has done is n- not really changed the world so much. The word processor did and the spreadsheet did. Those changed the world in terms of how we, how we create, how we work, at least for many of us that are knowledge workers. For sure. But since then, what the technology has done is primarily just add connectivity, speed, and volume. So it's got you connected, Caitlin, to a lot more things than you were ever connected to 15 years ago. Not only that, the speed and the volume of stuff coming through those channels that you've allowed into your life is just it is not slowing down. You're not going to get fewer WhatsApps or emails next year than this year, I'll bet. Yeah,
0: pretty safe bet.
1: (laughs) Yeah, pretty safe bet. And therefore, What's happened, what's changed is the, the the number of people that really now need this methodology that I came up with has grown you know exponentially. That's why GTD is not you know it's kind of like traveling around the world now in terms yeah. of, of, a, of a movement in a way, just because the not that the methodology has changed. It's kind of old as dirt, and that'll be true a hundred years from now. Uh, what's changed is the volume of people that really, really, really are getting up against it in their lives. Uh, simply because of the speed of change, how 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 quickly things come in that force you to have to rethink and recalibrate your priorities.
0: Which speaking of this, would it be okay if we talked through each of the steps in the GTD system just sure. briefly so that people who maybe haven't heard of the system before get a bit of a framework? You know, you mentioned it was just a reminder that our launch party is happening at Dr. Caitlin on Insta and at Wisdom for Wellbeing pod on Facebook. Thursday to Sunday you could go into the running for one of three body packages. Each is comprised of one mix and match lipstick pack from Catherine B. -B C-A-T-H-E-R-I-N-E-B.com.au creates luscious products made with organic and wild crafted ingredients, therapeutic grade essential oils, all comprised for deliciousness on your skin. A pair of natural rubber flip slide sandals in the winner's chosen size and color, flipslide.com.au, Rebecca has built this company to offer sustainable, slow fashion sandals. Each winner will receive a handmade purse from the lovely Jess at Designs by Dukes. It's Designs, D-E-S. Ignsbydukes.net just puts her creativity into each item she creates. She personally crafts jewelry, bags, and lovely plant hangers. Finally, the winner will receive a vegan nail polish created by the inspired mama Tiffany at Nailed at Tiffany's, n a i l d a t t i f f a n y s dot com dot a u. Tiffany's polishes are free of toxins and capped with sustainable cypress wood. They also plant a tree for each and every polish sold. Please head to drkaitlyn.com forward slash launch TCS to read the full launch terms and conditions. Thank you so much for celebrating launch week with us and good luck if you are participating in our giveaway. okay if we talked through each of the steps in the gtd system just sure. briefly so that people who maybe haven't heard of the system before get a bit of a framework you know you mentioned it was capture clarify organize reflect and engage would yeah. you mind just giving us a bit of an overview of what, sure. what the first step capture is
1: capture is write it down it's on your mind write it down or record it or put it somewhere out of your head in some sort of trusted bucket mm-hmm. so you know I, I i keep what i'm at certainly at my desk i keep you know, a pad and a pen, because God knows when lightning's going to strike. In other words, oh, that's right. I just pulled some music off a CD that my wife gave me she found in a drawer. And how do I get those into Spotify? I tried last night. It didn't work. So I just made a little note. That was off my mind because it's there. And then I'll deal with that, you know, soon. So that's basically capture anything that that I might need to decide or do something about. I can't finish the moment I'm thinking of it. That's what I want to capture. Okay. So, Write it down. I need cat food. I need a life. I need a wife. I need. I you know. I uh, got to hire a vice president. I need to look into a new mobile phone business. Most people, it takes over an hour anyway just to identify the stuff that's banging around in their head. I've had people take many hours. I've had I've had people take two or three days just to capture all of that stuff because they have lead such a complex and creative life. And so that's the first step is just capture. Identify what's off, what's not on cruise control, what has your attention. See, there are a lot of things I don't write down because I don't have my attention on it. Yeah. I mean, there there are important stuff going on, but it's on cruise control. You know, Uh, that's all fine. I didn't need to write down, I didn't need to write down, take puppy out for pee and poop because. Catherine just did that, you know, and so I'm, that's not on any list. So
0: and that's probably that's part much, of the daily routine, the part that you're not needing yeah, to think and, about because it's, it's habit. Mm.
1: Yeah, and life lets me know. You know, mm. the puppy lets me know. You know, the, 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 the things let me know, you know. Uh, I, I don't have to go write down, take shower, you know. And it's obvious when I need to. You know, so a lot of that stuff you don't need to write down. But if I said, wow, I need to change the – or I need to fix the shower, or we need to get a plumber in to handle that leak that's in the shower right now. That's the stuff you write down. All those things that you can't finish in the moment that you might need to decide or do something about. So that's step one. Beautiful. Now, if you stop there, then you can compul- become a compulsive list maker. So you don't just stop there. I mean, it'll help if you just keep a pen and paper by bed, by your bed, you'll sleep better. So just anything, the more you sort of kind of get out of your head, you're gonna feel better and more in control. Um, but then step two and step three are, are important because I need to then get that list empty. I need to get my in tray empty. I need to get all the note-taking that I've captured empty, not meaning I'm finishing what's in those notes. I need to clarify what those notes mean and what I'm going to do about them, if anything, and organize any results I might come up with. So there's a clarify step, which is really the, in a way, it's really the most important unique distinction of the getting things done process is a thought process you have to apply. The email doesn't tell you what to do with it, seldom. The mail you get in your mailbox doesn't doesn't label itself as junk mail. But you actually have to pick it up and decide, is this something I need to do something about or not? Is it reference material or is it trash or whatever? And you actually have to apply a thinking process to the stuff that you have written down. Most people's to-do list or incomplete list is still unclear stuff. They've written down things like bank or tooth or vice president or something, Yeah, which is great. They captured something that has their attention, but they, they haven't finished their thinking about it. And if you haven't finished your thinking about the bank or your tooth or the vice president, then there's still some part of you spinning. You still need to think or decide about this thing that's on my list. And many times people's to-do lists create as much stress as they relieve because they're just reminding you of thinking and decision-making you haven't done yet. So step two is to go through that decision process. What exactly does this stuff mean? Pretty simple thing. Just look, is it an actionable item? Yes or no? If no, is it trash or is it reference? Or is it something you need to keep track of that you might want to do something about later on incubate? If it is something that you need to move on, then what's the very next action you need to take? What's the very next step? We talked about that earlier, which is a key, key question to answer, which most people haven't actually answered about the stuff that has their attention. What's the very next thing if you had nothing else to do but cat food or vice president or bank or mom or whatever it is that has your attention, what's the very next thing you need to do? An email to send, something to buy at the store, Some website to surf, what? That's really defining,
0: isn't it? Like it makes it manageable versus something, you know, when something there is there like (laughs) bank, you know, depending on what the the bank is flagging, it could be something that could take, you know, weeks or months, a number of, you know, papers that need to be filed, submitted. But if you have that next actionable step, that's something that someone can take a step towards and actually achieve.
1: Right. Then not only that, but real clarity will come if the one action won't finish whatever it's about, what's the outcome? So outcome and action, that's what, what this is down at the micro level you know, of how you deal with an email, how you deal with a note, how you deal with a thought. What's the ne- If it's something to move on, like mom's birthday, what's the next step? Oh, I need to call my sister, ask her what we should do about mom's birthday. Great. And what's the outcome? you know Be clear, celebrate mom's birthday. Now you have a project as well as an action. So de- defining projects and defining actions, you know come on, Caitlin, if you want to get things done, two key elements. What does done mean? And what does doing look like? And where does it happen? And if you look at most 99% of people's to-do list, they don't have either one. They have something that they still need to clarify. What exactly is the final outcome? I get to win and check this off when what's true. And what's the very next step if I had nothing to do but get to closure on that? Where would I go? What would I do physically right now as the next thing? And those two things, you actually have to train yourself to think about that. It's a cognitive muscle that you actually train. I don't think any of us are born you know, you probably didn't hop out of your mom and go, gee, mom, what exactly are we trying to accomplish here? And what's the next step? Is that yours or mine? You know, this is actually a learned behavior. And we've seen whole enterprise cultures change with just building those two words into the vocabulary of a culture or a family. Gee, what are we trying to accomplish here? And great, what's the next step? Is that yours or mine? Great I think that's a
0: really bit. important framework, too, and that it's trainable, you know, that this doesn't come intuitively, because if someone starts down this path, that, you know, they might be listening, maybe they grab your book, that it is something that comes with practice, that it's not something that, you know, some people might be good at immediately, you mentioned that you for you know, that you are not the most organized person in the world, and that you're by your nature, you would maybe... I don't want to say lazy, but you did, you know, that that this is something that when you train, it doesn't require that much cognitive effort, but it does require some effort in the beginning until it becomes habit. Would that be an okay way of saying it, phrasing it?
1: Exactly. And, you know, I'll, i can frame this from a professional standpoint. The late great Peter Drucker, you know, the great management guru writer in, in the US, you know, when he he was the one who really started to popularize the idea of knowledge work. Not you know, pre-knowledge work. Most people just their work told them what to do. They made things and moved things, big pile of unmade, unmoved things, made it clear how to spend their day. But knowledge work means you actually have to think. You know, again, back to the you, you, the email doesn't tell you exactly what you need to do about what's in that email. You have to decide that. You have to figure that out. And Drucker would tell everybody that your toughest job is defining what your work is. Mm-hmm. You know, what is your work today? What is the work? The work meaning what exactly do you need to do? He didn't tell you how to do that. He just cautioned it was a cautionary tale that says if you're in a knowledge work where you're actually having to think about what to do, you actually there is a formula about how to think about it. Now, everybody's thinking about an email. It might be, oh, gee, this is an ugly, I don't want to do that's, that's a way to think about an email. Or, gee, what, what is this? Uh, what are they asking me to do? What's my next step if I need to do something about it? And is there some outcome I need to keep track of? But that is a cognitive muscle you can train so that it becomes more habitual to think that way, but it doesn't show up by itself. I I suppose if it showed up by itself, I'd be out of a job.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Possibly. Possibly. I guess we need the framework and then we need to practice and probably top ourselves up, get the information as we go on with the system. So in regards to organize. Uh,
1: Yeah. Well, then if if I say I need to call my sister to ask her what to do about mom's birthday, but I don't make that call right now. Where, where am I going to keep track of that so I'm reminded, so my brain doesn't have to keep remembering and reminding myself to call my sister about mom's birthday? Oh, I guess I should put that on a list somewhere. Great. That's what organize is. See, so if you're getting your kitchen under control and you, you, know, you walk in, it kind of looks like it's been attacked by somebody and you have guests coming over. First of all, you identify what's not where it is, the way it needs to be. Then you decide what it means. That's a dirty dish. That's a clean dish. That's a spice. That's a good food. That's bad food. And then you organize. You put dirty dishes where they go. You put clean dishes where they go. You put good food where it goes. And you put spices where that go. That's getting organized once you've determined what stuff is. So when you pick up your mail or an email or physical mail, trash goes where trash goes. You know, a reference material, that goes where reference material goes. Oh, this is something I need to do. Well, what do you need to do? Uh, I need to draft some response to this great so where do you keep a reminder that I need to draft that response so it's basically once you have determined what stuff is you can't finish in the moment you need to park reminder so you don't have to keep rethinking redeciding what this stuff is and this is really
0: uh, unique in that it's not just an ongoing to-do list like when you, you do the brain dump where you have you know your pen and paper and you you note things down this is really unique that you have specific places to prompt you to remind you to you know place things sure
1: Cat food, how about on post-it on fridge if that's where that goes? I mean, I don't, you know, Catherine and I keep a little, just a little uh, uh, index card, you know, in the kitchen. As Soon as we realize we need stuff from the store, we write it down on that. So whoever goes to the store, picks that up, that's getting organized, right? As opposed Mm -hmm. to trying to remember that you need butter or that you need, you know, God knows, whatever you you need from the store. Uh, And by the way, once you have that list, People think, well, that's your, are you overstructuring, micromanaging yourself? No, because we have that list that gives us the freedom to walk down the great little, you know, sort of uh, organic market and, and see cool stuff that's not even on the list that we want because <laughs> we have the freedom to do that because we have the list. Yeah. Right. So we know we're not missing anything, which frees up your brain to then do a lot of creative, spontaneous stuff. So that's why people often misunderstand. They think that getting organized in this way is going to be constraining. No, it's freeing up. It allows you the freedom to be spontaneous. Probably half my life is not on any list. You know, I love to take naps in the afternoon, every, you know, <laughs> if I can every day. And you won't see it on my calendar at all. You just take a nap when I feel like taking a nap. Yep. Right. And I have the freedom. That's a power nap. When I look at everything else I could be doing and go, no nap is better. <laughs> so,
0: and it's you know. a choice, you know. You don't have to don't have to wait up because you know what everything else is. You can make that conscious choice rather than it being yeah. something that's guilt inducing, perhaps.
1: Well, another David Allenism is you can only feel good about what you're not doing when you know what you're not doing.
0: Yes, exactly. I think that's a really beautiful quote.
1: <laughs> yeah. So,
0: getting that inventory,
1: most people haven't a clue of how many things they're not doing. Yeah. it's going, It's spinning around there internally again the source of the ambient anxiety most people live in is because they know their stuff they might go would should ought to be doing but they just are not it's not consciously in front of them so they can see it and put put it in appropriate relationship you know mm-hmm. to stuff so it's just spinning and again waking them up at 3 a.m when you can't do anything about it
0: yep so something's always hanging on the shoulders so you've got everything in place you've got it organized what's reflect the next step
1: Look at the lists. <laughs> Look at your calendar. Look at the external brain content that you've developed so that then you can make good intuitive choices. The, the, the list won't make the choices for you. That's still the human thing. That's still no, even no computer, even with artificial intelligence. It's not going to tell you what you need to buy for mom's birthday. It may give you a lot of options that you bought before. So technology is going to help you help you make maybe better and more creative decisions, but you still have to decide. Yeah. So there's still the, the human factor where you decide which errand you want to run when you see the five errands or which thing if you're keeping a list of, of stuff to talk to your life partner about, you know, about the business of life stuff, you need to go over with each other, you know, which ones you really want to handle right now, which ones you'll wait till tomorrow or the next day and so forth. So you, you still need to step back and reflect and look at all of that. And there's multiple horizons. How often should you review your life purpose? How often should you look at any strategic plans or operational plans you have? How often should you review any goals you have? That's as often as you need to, to keep them off your mind and feel like you're appropriately engaged with them. But some things you probably need to look at daily, sometimes many times a day, your calendar or your action list. Some things you need to look at weekly, like your projects, your list of all your projects, probably once a week is sufficient to look at those and see how you're doing. Remind yourself stuff you need to pick up on. And then monthly, there's probably stuff you need to see monthly, probably stuff you need to see quarterly, stuff you need to see yearly, whatever. You know, and that's both professionally as well as personally, if you want to get that off your mind. And that's the the whole idea is there's, you know, there's just much more complexity at these multiple levels that we have commitments and agreements with ourselves.
0: Yeah.
1: And my work is not to to tell you what you should agree to. You know, I, I have done management consulting before where I could give people advice about, well, here's probably the best way to approach that. I don't do that in this work. In this work, it's like you tell me what your uh, agreements are with yourself. Let's get all that out and externalized. And invariably, when somebody actually does that, they know what to do. You know, it's the, the priorities You know, emerge much more organically and much more naturally than trying to force yourself on it. See, the, getting things done is really uh, another unique aspect is it starts with where you are, not with where you should be.
0: I think that's very inclusive. It allows people to come into the system and to start with, as you said, where you are. And I think this point that you were just making in regards to the agreements with yourself, that's something that's come up a bit in your book. And I I just want to highlight it because I think it is something a lot of us could resonate with. You mentioned that, you know, the anxiety and guilt associated with breaking agreements to ourself is is the distressing part. You know, that's where the anxiety comes from versus having too much to do. If we had systems in place, if we had clarity in what we have on our plate, that anxiety and guilt wouldn't be as, I guess, as... um, influencing us as much versus when we're constantly breaking agreements with ourselves, missing appointments, forgetting things that are in alignment with our values. And we know, you know, at some level, we would really like to be moving towards if it keeps getting pushed by the wayside or just waking us up at 3am, but no actions happening.
1: Sure. Well, if you want to have no broken agreements, which is a really lovely place to get to, you have three options. Option one, don't make the agreement. You know, look at the list and go, Pfft. I'm not gonna do that. You know, you know, I, I, oh come on, silly, what a silly idea. And by the way, if most people haven't kept track of their commitments, they always overcommit. Yeah. They always do. I've never seen an exception to that. So once you start to track your commitments and see them, that makes a big difference. So the first option is just don't make the agreement. The second option is to complete the agreement. Hey, I'm gonna do that, and you go do it. You'll feel great. You kept an agreement with yourself, you know, whatever that was. And the third option, which is really critical and a key element of this, is to look at it and go, no, not today. You just renegotiated your agreement with yourself. A renegotiated agreement is not a broken one. That's why when I take a nap, to have a really power nap, I need to look at all the other stuff I could be doing instead of nap and say, no, nap is better. I just renegotiated those agreements with myself. But you can't renegotiate agreements with yourself. You can't remember you made. Mm-hmm. That's why it's critical that you keep track of what all these things are and then make it okay that you don't do them all. People often misunderstand. They think because you put it on the list and because it's there, you need to go do all that. No, you can only do one thing at a time anyway. Right? You just need to feel comfortable about what you're doing and what you're not doing. And that's, about, that's how you manage the agreement level, is that you've probably decided, as I did, that talking to you right now is the best thing we need to do given all the other things we could be doing. Otherwise you wouldn't be present. You'd be distracted by whatever all those other things might be, or I would be too. Yeah. So that's the whole idea is to be able to manage the agreement level. And that you know, that's a lot of what I learned back in the old personal growth movement days. It was a whole lot about the automatic price you pay for breaking agreements. Trust automatically diminishes. That's an automatic price. That's not a I choose to have that price happen or not. No. If you tell me you're going to show up and you don't, I now automatically do not trust you will show up whenever you tell me you will show up. That's an automatic price that's paid for a broken agreement. And that's true agreements with other people and certainly with, the, with yourself as well.
0: Yeah. So, and to be losing trust in oneself is a really impactful experience.
1: Sure. Well, trust, as you know, is huge. Yeah. It's huge in terms of leadership. It's huge in terms of relationships. It's huge, huge in terms of, and certainly for yourself.
0: So this is, uh, you reflect and then you can make a decision. You can make the decision to have that nap. You know what's on your plate. What about engage, the final step?
1: Well, that's it. Where do you then put your attention, your focus, and your activity Mm -hmm. based upon the first four steps? Mm -hmm. If you've captured, clarified, organized, and reflected on everything, then you're making trusted choices about what you do and what you don't do as opposed to, I hope this is right. I hope something doesn't blow up on me.
0: Yeah.
1: Yeah. So that's, it's really about making trusted choices about what you do. And there are quite a number of variables that go into that. How much time do you have? How much energy do you have? Where are you? There's certain things you and I can't do right now that we've committed ourselves to do because you're not in a place where you could do it. Right. So, you know, and as well as, you know, as well as all these multiple horizons of our commitments, you know, so, Uh, you know, there's, I wish I could give a simple answer to how do you set priorities about what to do at any point in time. And I got it as simple as I could. Um, But I I, I couldn't get it any simpler. There are all those different variables that are true for everybody.
0: Yeah, it's an interesting point, isn't it? That there's different variables. And probably, you know, once we have an awareness of the context that we're operating in, an awareness of all of the elements that our life is needing attention towards, then you can weigh it up appropriately. And it's I think a really sort of nice way to start to wrap things up is that more information about all of this and more detailed approaches can be found in your book, Um, getting things done and the art of stress-free productivity, but also you have an amazing website that has heaps and heaps of resources that individuals can access. Sure.
1: Well, we have a a, a probably best things, free newsletter. So people can sign up on the website for that. And, you know, I get, I do essays regularly on all that stuff. And one other point, Caitlin, mm-hmm. I'd like to make for people listening to this is that is that back to the clear space idea, is that the, the getting things done methodology allows for two things. First of all, it allows you to move into clear space. And secondly, it allows you to then use the clear space to trust your intuitive judgments about what to do. Because ultimately, it's going to come down to trust your heart, trust your spirit, trust your mm-hmm. liver, trust whatever it is you trust that's the source of the still small voice that once your head is clear will make much, much better and more informed and confident choices about what you do. Come on, I'm sure when you walk through nature and do your yoga, you know, you're probably at that point, you're going to take more advantage of trusting your intuitive judgments about what to do. So all the things we all need to do to get more clear space, and then be able to utilize that clear space to be making good intuitive choices. You know, I think that's kind of the name of the game.
0: It's really beautiful. And we talked about trust a moment ago, you know, and how vital it is within ourselves as well as within relationship. So if we're able to give ourselves an avenue, a space where we can, you know, learn to trust that inner voice that has probably been silenced by all of the to-dos floating around in our head in our lives, that's so powerful and that's so empowering.
1: Yeah. Yeah. The universe is always on. You know, yeah. So when we meditate or when we slow down or when we get things quiet, it doesn't mean the universe stops. It means we're able to listen to more subtle aspects of the universe that's always on. We get to hear you know, that some of the deeper and more profound and fun messages that we're waiting for.
0: That's just a whole other level to the getting things done system, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> which is which is brilliant i think this is going to give people some really good takeaways and hopefully you know motivation because who wouldn't want to experience that that clarity of mind that peace and that spaciousness in their life with the sense that they're going to be able to keep the commitments they have to themselves as well as keeping the commitments they have to the people they care about and the relationships that are really important and valuable in their life and ultimately make life i'm kidding In regards to just, you know, a quick takeaway, people can sign up for your newsletter, get some essays from you. They can listen to your podcast as well. They can grab your book. Would there be a quick little snippet of an action beyond, you know, reaching out and connecting that people might implement in their lives following, you know, when they hit stop on this, on this podcast today?
1: Pen, paper,
0: pen and paper, empty your head, empty your head, empty your head. I love that.
1: That's a great start, you know, for all of this, for sure. Also, by the way, on our website, we are now, a lot of my work is supporting our licensees and and distributors of this methodology around the world that are doing public seminars and doing coaching and so forth. And there are two or three in Australia and New Zealand. Uh, Anybody listening to that that's locally there or anywhere around the world, we're officially in 73 countries. So if you go to our website and look at our partners, you'll see where, you know, partners all around the world that are doing this work. So, we'll go actually going into a, a you know a live seminar with our master trainers, we've certified with this stuff will really you know uh, leap you forward if you're interested in doing that. And obviously, the book it's all in the book too. But sometimes you need some help You need the environment. What's in, what's in the book? Yeah, for sure
0: yeah that's fantastic so people can go away grab a pen and paper start to write things down empty empty their minds clear that office space and then following up from that maybe actually reach out to a gtd trainer give themselves that actual defined physical space calendar space to really reflect integrate this process and to ultimately then bring that clarity in their minds and their lives thank you so much for your time today
1: this was fun caitlin yeah this
0: was really fun found this interview with David as meaningful as I did. His book, Getting Things Done, The Art of Stress-Free Productivity, really changed how I organize my life. Everything from my calendar to my filing systems. And this said, I'm not perfect and I sometimes fall off the GTD wagon and then I notice my anxiety and sense of overwhelm starts to rise. So this episode is going to be a good one to come back to again and again when I feel I need a few reminders. You can head over to GettingThingsDone.com to connect with David and the GTD community, or you can visit drkatelyn.com to find today's show notes and an episode transcript, as well as a bit more information about the Wisdom for Wellbeing launch party, which is continuing this week. Tomorrow we will release another Wisdom for Wellbeing episode. Subscribe now and you will hear from Dr. Megan Davidson of Love Warrior Healing. Dr. Megan is a licensed psychologist, certified Daringway facilitator, certified yoga teacher, and faculty member at the University of Nebraska. Having trained with Brené Brown and developed expertise in trauma-informed yoga, she shares about her own Dark Night of the Soul journey and how she bridges the domains of psychology and yoga. I found the conversation to be honest, inspiring, and very connecting. I think you will too. Bye for now. Thanks for joining us this week on the Wisdom for Wellbeing podcast. Please visit drkaitlin.com to connect, find show notes, other episodes, and to subscribe. While you're at it, if you find value in the show, we'd appreciate a rating, or perhaps simply tell a friend about the show. Wisdom for well being is not a substitute for professional, individualized mental health treatment. If you are in crisis, please contact 000, your local emergency number if you are outside of Australia, or attend your local hospital ED.